This week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. My name is Anna Mullins-Ellis. I am here for your weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. If you are not familiar with this program, every week we bring you a conversation with local leaders, people who are pushing our city forward, innovating for solutions, and making sure that Memphis has a bright future. Um, I'm joined today in the studio by my two friends and colleagues, Anna Thompson. Good morning, Memphis. And Christy Mullen. Hi. Um, We are, you know... (laughs) I, I want to preface this episode by saying um, when Anna first suggested that we bring uh, our guests back, my first reaction was like, oh, should we do that? And then my second very quickly to follow reaction was 100%, absolutely. Um, so today we're bringing back Jennifer Pepper. She is the executive director of Choices here in Memphis. Um, we actually uh, interviewed her back in April of 2021. Um, it was her first podcast, I yes. recall. Um, and so she gives us some great context on the work of Choices and their history and um, what she does day to day. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. It's really edifying. Um, it will be linked, uh, I believe, in the show notes. Um, but we wanted to bring her back today because Obviously, um, the work of Choices providing reproductive health care for this community has shifted dramatically uh, in the last few weeks. Um, we are here. Um, we're actually recording this a few weeks in advance, um, but it is it is fresh news for us. Um, and we wanted to sort of process it in real time with the expert that is Jennifer Pepper to understand what the ramifications for our community uh, will be and sort of what the path forward is. I know that this can be a... Um, you know, in times, a a touchy topic, a a topic that people want to shy away from. And I feel strongly because of the mission of New Memphis and how deeply we care about this community and uh, moving our city forward, that it's a conversation that needs to be had. And we need to be thinking about what this means for um, the the people of Memphis and the people of Tennessee. And um, so I didn't want to shy away from this episode. And I'm excited to be here to talk to Jennifer. And I really uh, am glad that Anna and Christy are here to join me. So let's jump into this uh, important conversation. Right, everyone, we are here with Jennifer Pepper. Welcome back. I can't believe it's been just April 2021 was the last time I did an interview with you and a whole year has passed and I time. What is it? I don't even understand. I have no idea idea what time is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy to have you here. Um, We are in the studio, guys, and Jennifer is going to talk to us about all the things today. Um, But give us a little bit of background. How are you? How have you been doing? (laughs) I keep telling people. It's a loaded question. Right? I keep telling people in the context of the world feels like it's very much on fire. I'm doing all right. Uh, And so, yeah, I mean, thanks for asking. Um, I forgot what else you asked me. Yeah, no, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> In scene. <laughs> and we'll circle done. back to your, yes. your um, <laughs> self-care <laughs> regimen at the end of the episode. Uh, like, um, how many baths are you taking? Right. <laughs> <laughs> there are not enough lavender sachets in the world, I assure you. So obviously we wanted to have you here today in, in light of... Uh, national news and we really you know as we always do um on this show we want to talk about the the local implications and Mm -hmm. i think um we want to talk about what that means for the memphis community what it means for the state of tennessee um so ever just for those listening obviously i mean i assume they um are aware of the uh supreme court uh reversing the roe v wade um Mm -hmm. decision and thus um sort of catapulting us back 50 years in terms of um reproductive rights for women but there are all these other implications so in your work on the front lines of this um on providing essential health care for women um 
tell us what does this mean? I mean, obviously, you guys saw this coming, um, as mm-hmm. we all did. What what was the initial thinking a few months ago? As mm-hmm. you had you know, you saw this coming down, like were there any changes that you had to make? And then what does it look like today if you were in the Choices Clinic? Yeah, so we actually at Choices started thinking about uh, this, the loss of abortion access in Tennessee uh, back in late October when SCOTUS announced they were taking up the Jehu case. Uh, So it was the first case they had taken up that uh, called pre-viability into question, and we knew the makeup of the courts uh, with the last three nominations. And so when they announced they were going to consider the case, uh, we knew that was going to be really bad for abortion access in Tennessee, but... 26 other states across the country as well. And so then when oral arguments happened on December 1st and listening to the questions that were asked and the uh, sentiment that the justices expressed, we knew that they were looking to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, And so we kicked into high gear because we, the previous year, had provided abortion services to a little over 3,800 patients just in our clinic. And we are one of six clinics in the state of Tennessee. And so we knew our community and our patients were going to need to have continued access. And so it was actually in November that we started planning to open a second clinic in southern Illinois uh, to provide that abortion access. We will continue in Memphis to provide all of our midwifery services and wellness services. Um, But what does it look like today is what you asked. Um, There's still patients in our clinic. There are far fewer patients. Staff is having to turn away a lot of patients. Uh, We're currently under a six-week ban in the state of Tennessee, and so we're only able to provide abortion care to a very small percentage of patients, and um, we won't even be able to do that after in or around August 18th is our best guess right now. Um, And then in the state of Tennessee, abortion access will only be allowed in a very narrow exception Uh, for the mother's physical health and life and endangerment. Uh, It actually carves out uh, any mental health crises that pregnant people are having. And so uh, it feels particularly cruel. So you're not a legislator, but for for those listening who are not as intimately familiar with the legislation that you're referring to, Mm. um, can you talk a little bit about the the definitions that are are carved out there and sort of what it, you know, if you happen to be um, a yeah. person who is uh, thinking about being pregnant, like what what are the definitions there, and, and how um, in this in this current six week fra- frame, um, and then after that? Yeah. So right now, uh, physicians are only allowed to provide an abortion in the state of Tennessee if there is no cardiac activity available present, and the patient is less than six weeks since their last normal menstrual period, so two weeks past a missed period. Um, And so, for example, to put it in a little context, Choices typically, on average, was seeing about 300 patients a month, uh, and now we're seeing less than a tenth of that. Um, And then even all those patients aren't able to be seen. That is because there is a piece of legislation that was passed in 2020. Choices and some other colleagues actually sued the state of Tennessee and got that legislation enjoined, so it was not able to take effect. But then when the when SCOTUS handed down the Dobbs decision uh, a couple of fri- last Friday or Friday ago, mm-hmm. I don't know what's time, um, 
the state of Tennessee petitioned the appellate court to allow the six-week ban to go into effect, and the appellate court granted that request. And so it went into effect um, a week ago today, actually. And then we anticipate uh, the total ban. It's a trigger law that was passed in Tennessee, and you'll have to forgive me, I don't remember the year, um, in anticipation of Roe v. Wade being overturned. And so the um, Attorney General of Tennessee will ask the state to certify that trigger law um, probably within the next week or two, and then 30 days from that day, Mm -hmm. uh, abortions in Tennessee will have to stop. The carve-out uh, is incredibly narrow. It is like, it is uh, it reads as if the, the pregnant person's life needs to be in very intimate physical danger, in uh, immediate physical danger, um, in order to receive care. I mean, we're already seeing it. There were some folks and some patients in Nashville last week that were unable to get certain methods of birth control because physicians, there's a lot of confusion Mm -hmm. about what all this means right now. They're scared. They're super scared. Uh, And so, um, you know, physicians that provide abortion have always had to kind of talk to lawyers about the best way to provide care. And now healthcare officials in all capacities that care for pregnant people are really having to think about that um, because once the trigger ban goes into effect, you know, essentially the procedure that folks use to treat ectopic pregnancies and miscarriage management uh, are now called into question, and physicians are incredibly scared, confused, and nervous. Uh, and that is not how you want your physicians to be when they're providing health care. It's interesting that you said that. Um, Christy actually just mouthed to me. Um, so I had a personal experience, too, with an ectopic pregnancy, um, and I actually was past that six-week mark. Mm-hmm. So I'm... I'm intrigued to know what like the nuances of the, the that legislation mean for not just what I think some people narrowly assume is abortion. Yeah. I think that that too goes back to the definition of what you were talking about like what does that mean? I think the way that medically Um, abortion is categorized on health like Mm -hmm. on my medical records Mm -hmm. looks a lot different than legally it Mm -hmm. would look Mm -hmm. and so I think there's a lot of things that fall under that umbrella that the average Joe or Jane might not realize falls under that spectrum of care yeah I mean it's it's the the exact same treatment for miscarriage yeah I mean naturally occurring um it was also a standard treatment for ectopic pregnancy um I was uh, visiting with some friends this weekend who are considering IVF, uh, mm-hmm. and they're really scared to think about being pregnant and not being near a facility that would be able to provide them care if they were to need it. Um, and so it impacts everybody, not just folks yeah. that need to terminate a pregnancy. Right. I think that's, too, a bigger conversation I've been having in the past few weeks is that it's not, I don't want to say traditional. That sounds very, you know air quote but like there's there's so many gray areas in healthcare, just like there are in life (laughs) and so I think that it's super important that our community has access to the information that can best serve them and make sure that they can be healthy and make healthy decisions for themselves yeah turns out we have lots of research that actually shows that when folks have more information uh, they access healthcare more and uh, they are able to to have better health outcomes long term. Yeah, I think we when people hear the word abortion, people have varying reactions, mm-hmm. right? Some people we talked about very that last negative time, yeah. is like the word. And so what I think is so interesting is 
a lot of people, to A.T.'s point, that hear the word abortion, they're like, oh, it's just people who don't want kids. Mm. But what you're seeing with everything that's passed is kind of what you were just touching on. People that do want to have kids are now terrified that if they have an ectopic, if they miscarry, if they want to explore IVF, they're scared for those possibilities now because it's also hindering their health care, which is a right. Honestly, it should be a right. It's not a privilege. Like, you know, it should be an inherent right. And so as your staff is because you touched on this a little bit, and I just want to before we get too far, I want you to touch back is handling all of this, these people Mm. that have such concerns, whether no matter which side of the spectrum you land on, what did the days like right after the decision was handed down, like what did that kind of look like for you and your team? And how are you not only handling that, but how are you taking care of yourself? Because man, (laughs) like I can't even imagine. I keep uh, keep telling folks uh, that I talk to, I really, and, you know, down the years, many years from now, when I'm uh, interviewing for my next mm-hmm. job, I'm really looking forward to the, tell us about a time you had a leadership challenge. <laughs> oh. Tell us about the time <laughs> something didn't go the way you planned it. Yes. I can see you and being like, well, how much time do you have? Yeah. <laughs> you just sit right down. I've got this for you. <laughs> Take so, a seat. Um, uh, but because humor is one of the ways I deal with my yes. grief. Same. The best way to cope with trauma. I'm sorry. I, like, I think you know, of a certain age, uh, white lady. It's just kind of a tool we yeah. all learned. Uh, it's like, oh, that was dark. I know. That's how I'm coping through life. Thank you. I mean, as it turns out, so um, uh, the day of the decision was one of the the, the hardest days I think staff yeah. had had. We had a full schedule. We were really hoping that the decision would come out uh, in the following week. We were trying to see as many people as we could. When the decision came down uh, that morning, uh, you know, it was kind of minute to minute, hour to hour updates from our legal team about what we were going to be able to do. And, you know, it, when the decision came out, the the directive was, you know, see as many patients as you can as fast as you can, because we don't know when the six week ban is going to go into effect. And so staff were calling patients, uh, trying to reschedule or to get them to come in or letting them know we weren't going to be able to see them. Um, in fact, we had so many phone calls in the hours after the decision. We had over 5,000 phone calls that our phone systems crashed. Wow. Uh, and to give it some context, 5,000 is about the amount of calls we get in a week, week and a half. And so they all happened between like 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. that day. Uh, just people wow. terrified and didn't know what was happening, were they going to be able to keep their appointment. We had patients kind of just showing up because they couldn't get through on the phone lines, wanting to be seen. Um, and, you know, people don't think about the, like, they don't think about abortion until they need one. And they shouldn't have to because you don't think about a root canal until you need one, right? And so a lot of times people show up and they're not always aware of all the barriers in place, right? And so helping them explain, like, there's this 48-hour waiting period and now all these other regulations. Um and so that was just a really hard day for staff. Um, and then, even though it was a hard day, uh, because we thought we, our lawyers came back to us on Friday afternoon and said, uh, we have until Monday morning to respond mm-hmm. to the um, request to lift the injunction. And so, uh, pl- you know, you can see as many patients as you can until Monday morning. So, you know, my staff that was really tired and kind of beat up emotionally, uh, decided that they wanted to provide clinic on Saturday and on Sunday. 
so that they could see as many patients as they could. Um, and they ended up seeing 16 patients on Saturday and 23 patients on Sunday. And so it was certainly worth it. Um, they showed up Monday morning and continued to provide care. Uh, and then we made sure everybody got a really long weekend uh, this past holiday weekend. And um, the truth of the matter is, unfortunately, because we're not able to see nearly as many patients, uh, fortunately, that gives us the space to allow our staff time to rest um, because they have certainly uh, earned it over the last week or two. Um, but they're commi- I'm, I mean, I, I couldn't be more proud of my staff. They're amazing, dedicated folks. Um, yeah. So you talked about um, what the future looks like for choices mm-hmm. and, and the work that you provide. So I know you're going to continue doing work, as you said, in the Memphis community, mm-hmm. um, which I want to hear about what mm-hmm. that looks like. Um, and then you also mentioned um, what has been a, a, a many month um, in development plan to open a clinic in Southern Illinois. So mm-hmm. I, I want to hear about both of those things. And for those in the community who who still need um, reproductive health care, yeah. how would they access those services? Yeah. So the the you know, I'm really if they're I'm proud uh, that Choices will continue to serve Memphis. We've been in Memphis since 1974, taking care of the people that needed us most, and we will continue to do that, and it will look different. Um, But we are, for folks that maybe don't know, uh, the only birth center in Memphis as well um, that's led by uh, black midwives. And uh, we are on target this year to birth uh, a little over 200 little babies in our birth center. Uh, It (laughs) was... I'll tell you, yesterday morning was a was a rough meeting morning, and I went into the birth center, and there were two little choices babies yeah. hanging out with their parents, and I was like, "This is why we do this work." Um, so we're gonna do more of that. We're yeah. gonna help as many pregnant families uh, have the families they want to have in the setting they want to have them in. Uh, we're also gonna ramp up all of our wellness services that we've also provided for decades. Um, so think you know, pap smears and STI testing, family mm-hmm. planning, contraception, uh, just general wellness, all of those things. Um, because we've, in, including our gender affirming care that we provide, um, I think a lot of people don't realize uh, that independent abortion clinics across the country, like Choices, also provide all of these other services. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, lots of those clinics are going to close. They are just not in a place to kind of survive what's happening. And so those communities are not only losing access to abortion, but they're also losing access to gender-affirming care a lot of times and to all those other wellness services Mm -hmm. that these clinics provide. Um, And so um, I also, I feel I mourn that a lot. So we are going to keep doing that because our Memphis community needs us. Um, We are also working to open a clinic in Carbondale, Illinois. And so it's three hours from Memphis and it's three hours from Nashville by car. It's also serviced by the Amtrak line that runs out of New Orleans up to Chicago. It's a college town. It's a groovy little blue dot in a very red sea of southern Illinois, and so it feels a lot like Memphis in a lot of ways. Um, And uh, we're hoping to have that clinic up and going by mid-August. And our uh, plan, it's a a three-phased plan because everybody loves threes and phases. Mm -hmm. Um, It just feels like a good number. Right? I mean, it's just... Two is too little, four is too many, like three. It's a good stool number. Uh, And so our first phase will open up and start with medication, abortion, and gender-affirming care. 
year because that when we started to meet with community leaders, that's what they told us they needed uh, was more access to gender affirming care in the area. Our second phase will be adding procedural abortions and increasing the number of appointments available around wellness. And then our third phase will be in providing our midwifery care and potentially opening a birth center. Mm -hmm. And we hope to be at the end of that phase within three to five years. Um, and so we're really excited uh, to partner with Carbondale. They've been amazing people. Uh, they need access to health care like yeah. lots of rural communities. And so, uh, you know, it feels good to be able to continue our mission to provide abortion access and to also increase the number of health assets in a community like many communities that needs more health assets. That's what I think is so amazing because I remember when you were here, and I hope you guys all go back and listen to her original episode, um, we talked about, I wasn't very familiar with choices, and mm -hmm. I had been in Memphis for a while, and so hearing you talk about the all-encompassing, it's about reproductive health care for women. It's not just about abortion. It's about the full spectrum of care, and you kind of just touched on it again it's so important mm -hmm. and so you guys are still kind of it sounds like activating as like a flagship for people who have questions we're absolutely trying to I mean the the the, the choices model the full-spectrum mm -hmm. care right is about taking care of people for their entire reproductive and mm -hmm. sexual health care lives and allowing them and supporting them to have the families they want to have their choice yeah. when and how they want to have them um, <coughs> And abortion is is one instance, maybe two or three. I mean, that's you know, people access abortion for different reasons, um, but it's just one instance yeah. in somebody's reproductive health care. And they also need safe places to birth their babies, and they also need access to wellness checks. and And folks entering menopause need help managing hormones, and uh, and folks in male bodies also need access mm -hmm. to sexual and reproductive health care. As it turns out, and so. Um, we believe, it choices, that abortion belongs within the context of all of the rest of that. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, I think part of the uh, abortion has been allowed to be polarized and stigmatized to the degree it is because it has been siloed and separated outside of the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And so choices is working real hard to put abortion back inside the healthcare system because people need they need it all they need all of it um if you'll let me brag for a second absolutely um so um uh, these are uh, small numbers because we our midwifery practice has been going since 2017 uh, but that's how numbers work right the mm -hmm. further you get along the bigger they get and so uh, the first 150 births that choices had with our midwifery program uh, compared to both the, the general population of Memphis, but also the state of Tennessee, Choices babies were almost four times less likely to be born premature and almost seven times less likely to be born wow. via C-section. And I think that is really a testament to the Choices patient-centered model of care and particularly the midwifery model of care. Um, and so we're committed to continuing to support our community in all the ways that we're legally able to uh, in Tennessee. And uh, it looks like in the future, a big piece of that for us is supporting folks having healthy, safe pregnancies. Um, and we're, we're just, we're proud to do that. Um, and it's important work. It's going to be even more. I mean, it was important before. How does it get more important? Yeah. Oh, you overturned Roe v. Wade, and now it's more important. So <clears throat> thank you for everything that you do. I'm so excited to hear about the ambition that y'all have for the clinic in Illinois. And, I, you know, one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that 
I've been thinking about and just the, the geographic realities of so many states uh, in our part of the country having similar laws to what's happening in Tennessee um, and knowing that there's going to be this intense pressure on those um, sort of bastions of freedom in the middle of the country, um, Illinois, mm-hmm. Colorado, that were women from not just Tennessee, Memphis and Nashville, as you referenced, but um, women from Louisiana and Alabama and Arkansas and, you know, all coming to these places to access mm-hmm. essential care. So I'm curious, as you guys are opening up shop in Illinois, are you part of, are, how are you collaborating with other providers in that, that were already in that state? How are we making sure that their capacities are able to have handle the amount of care that they're going to need to provide and I'm just curious you know what I'm sure you were part of a broader network nationally before but what does that look like today I think unfortunately the incredibly stark reality is that there will not be enough access for the demand Mm -hmm. that is going to be Um, you just when you think about the entire southeast losing access to abortion um, in all of those clinics there are just not enough hours or clinics in the day in places like Illinois and Colorado to see all those patients. Um, I think, and people are looking to open more clinics, um, but there have never been enough providers. People have already yeah. had to travel outside of their communities, and um, folks are now going to have to travel further. And that just means that it's going to be it's going to put it out of reach for lots of lots of people. Um, and so, but Choices is absolutely working with all of our partners. It is certainly an all hands on deck kind of situation, right? And so, some of our bigger partners in this are abortion funds. So, the National Network of Abortion Funds is the larger organizing uh, collaborative. But each state has uh, at least one, some states have more than one, uh, local abortion funds. And folks can go to NANAF's website to find those. But those are the folks that are the experts at providing financial support, but also what we call practical support for people accessing abortion. So transportation, how do you book a hotel room? If you've never flown on an airplane, how do you get ready to do that? Uh, Do you need help securing childcare? all of those things and I know because my email box and my voicemail box tell me that lots of people really want to know what they can do right now and I think and there's uh, I see a lot of conversation in places about setting up networks to help people access abortion and that is the right energy and I would be I would behoove you to redirect that to these established organizations that have been doing that work and are the experts in helping those patients and already have the system set up that keep the patients safe, keep the volunteers safe, keep the clinic safe. Um, those are the folks that need all of our financial resources and our time and talent resources right now if you're really looking to get involved. Um, and so that's where I would encourage people to go look. Uh, we're working Choices as a healthcare provider. Uh, so we don't provide transportation for patients. Uh, we make sure to provide uh, high quality health care. Um, but that's why we work with all of those partners, um, because that's certainly what they do. Um, and it takes everybody. I mean, abortion is so hard to access and it gets harder each day. Tell the listeners one more time if they uh, weren't as completely tuned in. Name the organizations that you believe people should be supporting today. I believe they should be supporting the National Network of Abortion Funds. I believe they should be supporting Access Reproductive Care Southeast, the Midwest Access Coalition, the Chicago Abortion Fund, and Choices.
all of them, please. <laughs> uh, we'll put those in the show notes because I think it's important because um, I agree either. You know, one of the very few sil- silver linings of moments like this is um, sort of re-motivating. Yeah, I think about, yeah, it's so interesting. I, you know, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, <laughs> when I was in college, I interned for uh, the Feminist Majority Foundation, but it was during the year that we were planning this national march on Washington, mm-hmm. a march for choice. And um, it was a collaboration between four sort of large um, feminist organizations, including um, Planned Parenthood and NARAL. And mm-hmm. they were all led by these like second wave feminists, you know, women who were in their 50s or 60s. And they would sort of like sit, you know, and I was in college and they would sit you down and like, be like, you don't know what it can be like. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> sort of, like and we sort of had this joke like, oh, like, you know, it. it I'm going to date myself, but, you know, it was George W. Bush had been elected, um, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. and we were all, you know, they were sort of in a, you know, bad things can happen. And I just was like, not that bad, though. Like, that was just that that was never I mean, I was there, you know, I I very much believed in um, a feminist agenda, but I I didn't think it would be the way that they would talk about the the realities that the fear that they had um it just never really resonated with me and here i said it yeah same because yeah. we're the same date or, or give or take yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> i'm like here yeah and i just it, it, it if nothing else it has really motivated me to to do something um mm-hmm. and not just know how i feel or um i don't know it's just you know i, I hope that people are giving financially and i do hope that they are also um, advocating from a policy perspective that they mm-hmm. are volunteering and, and giving their time because I do think um, we don't actually know how bad it, it mm-hmm. is and how bad it's going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Yeah, I've been telling people another thing when people ask, what can I do? I think something that's that's financially free that everybody can do is uh, being courageous right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that means a lot of different things. Uh, I wake up and give myself a pep talk about being courageous every morning in the mirror these days. But I think for just everybody, the average Jane and Joe, um, tell people where you stand on abortion mm. access. Let them know we are not in a place where we can assume, right? Uh, I can't even believe all the corporate entities that have come out in support of abortion. That was unheard of Mm -hmm. a decade ago they would never right and so um but the truth is everybody everybody listening either knows somebody who's had an abortion or knows somebody who's going to need to access abortion and so our loved ones are going to need to know who is safe to talk to Mm -hmm. and quite frankly who isn't and so um be courageous and let people know I love that. That's something I wanted to kind of touch on is because here in AME talk about her feminist like movement. I feel something that has since the overturning of Roe v. Wade that I'm seeing more of. And as someone who grew up in a very conservative Christian upbringing and I kind of made my own decisions once I got out and went away and, you know, differing perspectives, what I'm seeing is everyone in this at this table has a different history to their life. Right. We all have come to decisions. We all believe what we believe. But being courageous to have those decisions, A.T. being courageous enough to talk about her ectopic pregnancy and Mm -hmm. what that meant for her trajectory and Mm -hmm. feminine health, like those things are so crucial. And while the overturning of review aid is something that I'll probably continue to cry about, like in the future, Mm -hmm. I I am seeing that it's making people 
do that. They're having those conversations that used to mm-hmm. make them uncomfortable. They are talking to their family members. It's not necessarily about changing someone's mind, right? No. A lot of people are going to believe what they believe, but I do believe it's it's sparking something and I can't put my finger on exactly what that is, but it just it feels different. Those conversations you're having feel different. Yeah, no, I would totally agree. I think and it's not about changing people's minds right. because it's about everybody making their individual decision. And I don't think, like A.T. shared, I don't think people understand mm. that these are also decisions that people have to make that want to continue pregnancies, right? I also think Absolutely. about our patients that come through our midwifery program that end up having some sort of fetal anomaly uh, and need, that's a hard decision, mm. right? And Figuring out what state to go to to be able to access that health care should not be part of that decision for folks. And unfortunately, it's going to be for for everybody. So I want to talk a little bit while we still have you about um, state policy and what Mm -hmm. this looks like for Tennessee. And I'm going to segue from the the comment that you made about how surprised you were to see these sort of large corporate entities come out Mm -hmm. with you know, pretty quickly and with, you know, I think um, in many cases really progressive policies, while I, I would love to think that they are motivated by um, humanity, <laughs> like, I think that the reality is they're motivated by money. And, um, you know, sitting at, our, you know, at New Memphis, our work is to build the talent pool in this community. It's to make sure that we have specifically a growing number of college-educated professionals mm-hmm. working in Memphis mm-hmm. as a barometer for our future's ability to prosper mm-hmm. economically um so a lot of the work that we do all of the programs that we run um are are intended to attract to, to be a sort of magnet for talent um to retain talent to help people feel excited and affirmed about where this community is going mm-hmm. and it's really hard for me to understand how we can do this work even in this blue dot when those sitting in the state house seem to want to consistently pass legislation that college-educated talent does not want. Um, And it's not, I I mean, there are, when you look at the numbers um, in terms of support for Mm -hmm. um, abortion rights, they are... 70% of the U.S. population. And that is national. Um, When you take that number and you you pluck out... young people mm-hmm. when you pluck out people with a college education or above that number grows yep. um so i just want us to think about what it means for our community when people co- people who have choice they can and pardon the <laughs> ugh, pardon the pun um people who have options and where they want to live um mm-hmm. why would you choose to live in memphis if you don't feel like you have full citizenship why would you choose to live here and invest here if you're worried that they're going to pass laws that make your marriage illegal that they're going to pass laws that make it difficult for you to be who you are um so i, I it's really you know i, I to you know and i, <laughs> I can, it's hard for me to say this with the job that i have um it was really hard for me the day after uh, the decision came down to think about, do I want to live here mm. in Tennessee? Do mm-hmm. I want to be a part of this? Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm in some way complicit by just paying taxes. And mm-hmm. um, and I feel a bit disenfranchised because of, mm-hmm. you know, that it doesn't feel like voting is going to help much. Um, mm. So maybe this issue isn't particularly motivating for you. Maybe um, 
gay rights isn't particularly motivating mm-hmm. to you. But I think what is motivating to people is the reality that if you have investments here in Memphis, if you are a person who owns a business, is um, you know yep. has has financial ties to the, the city of Memphis, to the state of Tennessee. I guarantee you that it's important that your teams feel like this is a place they want to be. Mm-hmm. And the reason that places mm-hmm. have made this decision isn't because they wanted to make a big, you know, create a big position about their feelings on reproductive health care. They want to make sure that they have access to talent and they know mm-hmm. they can't do their business if they don't have people who are willing to work there and do great work for them. So I, I, I think that we have to be thinking about that as a community. Yep. Um, so I'm going to get off my soapbox no. and uh, say that I, I, I do feel, I feel a commitment to this community. I feel yeah. a sense, like I feel a commitment for every single Same. person that lives yep. here. And um, I want to make sure that I'm doing my part. Um, so to me, that means we, we need to be lobbying. We need to help mm-hmm. be holding people accountable and be educating people on, why this matters. So I'm curious, and again, I know Choices is not, um, well, you guys have actively lobbied, and you guys are, you know, certainly. We do grassroots advocacy. Yeah. So what is that, I mean, and I'm I'm asking this for somebody who is sort of, my response is not humor, it's just blind rage. (laughs) As somebody who's currently motivated, what, how, how do we start this? I'm Mm. sure there are people who have statewide networks who are already working on this, but I'm just curious, um, what is it that we need to do to make sure our elected officials understand the consequences of some of these actions? I think too. Sorry, no, I, go but ahead. Like to piggyback it's a big a, question a bit, a little bit off that is like ripple effects. Like, and it's not just the immediate ripple that I'm like talking about. It's not just immediately people being parents that didn't want mm-hmm. to be parents. It's what does that look like in like terms of jobs? What does that look like in terms of poverty? What does that look like in terms of community access to any of those things that make memphis a great place to live work play and thrive so what like mm-hmm. i yep. think that's again kind of what you're asking yeah, is like what does that mean for everything else yeah no it's a great question and it's a question that's much bigger than abortion mm-hmm. right it's about bodily autonomy and human rights yeah. and and people having incredible choice around where they want to live these days because of the influx of remote work and just and you know, one of the as choices recruits for healthcare providers, uh, particularly certified nurse midwives, um, I've had this struggle trying to recruit folks to come move to Memphis from out from places like California or New York or wherever. Um, and those are things that come up, right? If you're weighing your pros and cons, if you don't have that tie to the community, right? then it's a, it can be a pro and con list for you. And these are some real big cons for young talent. And so I don't know. That seems like from A to B to C seems pretty simple to me. And so sometimes I have a hard time. I don't know how we get people to understand that. And I think, unfortunately, like you mentioned, the ripple, I mean, I think we're, we will see the outcome of this incredible bad legislation in our state uh, in in large trends over the next couple of years. Um, and I agree with you. I think, and I think it's uh, nice, and I appreciate uh, corporations supporting and providing uh, that support to their their employees. And human rights should not be a benefit of your employment. Mm-hmm. Period. And so. Um, and, and I wonder, too, because we're in a tight job market, 
right? Mm -hmm. And so I also wonder if we weren't in such a tight job market, if that many companies would have jumped up to do that too. Um, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. I yeah. think, oh, oh sorry. I want to share a quick story because I think it, it, this was actually before, before the road decision um, came down, but uh, we do work in the summers with college interns um, mm. while you sort of capture them while they're here. And again, all with the intention of making sure that they feel excited about living and working in Memphis, that they're you know sort of connected to the parts of the community that work for them. So in a luncheon we had a couple weeks ago, I was chatting with a young man who's an intern at AutoZone, mm -hmm. um, a really lovely, you know, he's having a great time at his internship. He is gay and he um, was telling me how excited he was that AutoZone was celebrating pride and they they you know very mm -hmm. like they'd had an event and anyway he was he is from memphis um is uh up in the northeast at college and had decided his, his parents had convinced him <laughs> to take an internship in memphis and he was kind of like okay like but he did he's he was loving autism and that made like, that was so exciting to me that this company that we love and that does you know so much mm -hmm, for this community mm -hmm. that they you know had helped this young man not just feel welcomed and excited um, to work there, but had sort of opened his eyes to like, oh, maybe Memphis is better, you know, like maybe this is a place I want to be. And it was just like, I had this moment of like, that's amazing, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's it's a win for AutoZone because this is this smart young man who's, so um, I worry now that, you know, at what point do those companies start to say, I guess we can't be headquartered here in Tennessee if if it makes it hard for them to have those affirming moments for these young people and you know that to me is one of the big dangers from again from an economic development perspective like i think these big corporations often also have to consider who they give to politically mm. right and so uh if you are offering a ben extra benefit to your staff to access abortion care but you have financially backed all of the legislators who voted to take away that reproductive health care it just seems like you're working at a cross point of your own interest, potentially. If you're thinking about talent growth and, mm -hmm. and retention, um, that's not the only thing corporations think about. But I think from that perspective, um, you know, you're cutting your nose off to spite your face a For little sure. bit. It's and a very strong motivator. Like, I mean, it would be more impactful to stop supporting legislators who don't support human rights than to offer this benefit. Uh, within your benefit package that, you know, quite frankly, can be taken away at any point. Mm. Sorry, T.I. No, you're fine. I, I appreciate your um, your happy your happy story because I was... Uh, <laughs> I've got a ball of sadness coming right at you. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I was also just curious, too. I know that in the previous episode you talked about how the full spectrum of care mm -hmm. is also includes referrals mm -hmm. from choices. So whether mm -hmm. that's like adoption places mm -hmm. or, um, again, with like the strain on the foster care system that mm -hmm. is potentially right around mm -hmm. the corner and things like that. I was mm -hmm. just curious about any expansions in like referral systems mm -hmm. that y'all had in place? Mm -hmm. We, I mean, to be honest with you, we've really been focusing on ramping up the healthcare that we provide, yeah. right? Um, we have a lot of those uh, referrals in place and have for okay. a long time. Um, I think the problem is going to be, and we're gonna see this across our systems, is that they're, you know, these systems have not received the financial support uh, or the resource support that they need to provide the services at the levels they do currently. And now we're going to ask them to provide even more assistance to more families uh, without much additional support. And so, uh, you know, we've got a, a system and, and referrals that are under-resourced and uh, overburdened. 
and we're going about to increase both of those things um and i don't that's just not going to work out um it's going to hurt people it's going to hurt the community um and you know as you say like and all of those things impact all the other pieces of community including business and so um yeah i mean we've got them they're uh they're they're overtaxed for sure already yeah i would definitely just piggyback too on what you had said previously about being courageous again Mm. like what ame you said whatever is motivating you if it's not the obvious elephant in the room perhaps some of the other nuanced peanuts in the room can mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. motivate you I like and metaphor and so, too. like i mean if if it is you know no matter what side of that spectrum like christy said that you fall on perhaps something else can be motivating to you like becoming a certified foster parent yeah. and mm-hmm. things of that nature i think everybody needs to follow yeah. your your decisions to the end of the line mm-hmm. on that yeah. and so that's all i'm going to say about that i what i think kind of piggybacking on all of this and talking about a sense of community and AME you saying that you it made you even question if you wanted to stay here anymore um I think that's something that's hitting everyone mm-hmm. in a big way and the way I kind of sit with it when it happens is this state needs people who believe in choice for everyone no matter what that looks like Right. Like it needs people here to do that work. It needs people like A.T. said on either side of what to step up, like mm-hmm. step up and do what you you know are saying. Like, OK, if you are on this side, step up and be a foster parent, step up and adopt. If you are on this side. OK, what does that mm-hmm. mean? Reg, you know, vote, get out there and you know, like mm-hmm. legislate for your rights and your right to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that's the one thing that I kind of sit with because it's like it is hard to live in the south when you're someone that believes in bodily autonomy for women and the freedom of choice so it's what keeps you here is that for me it's that small amount of hope that like change is possible and if everyone flees who's here to make the change happen no i sit with that too a lot like um and so and what I need, what I find myself reminding uh, our national partners and collaborators about, uh, you know, we're not going to abandon the South in the Midwest. We're not going to do that because the truth of the matter is I was curious the folks that are making these decisions for us do not actually represent the majority of us. Mm-hmm. And so it really, you know, it, it, gerrymandering is real. We just went through redistricting in the state of Tennessee. It did not get better for folks. Um, And so it really, I mean, there's, I think, some fundamental questions about the health of our democracy, both at the state level and at the national level. Um, And I, I also think, I think anxiety and fear around other human rights are justified. I think... You know, the abortion is the low-hanging fruit because mm-hmm. it's so polarizing yeah. and because it's so stigmatized. It's not real. People don't associate it with health care, unfortunately. Yep. It's and so, um, you know, this happens and, and, and people figure out the new normal and move on. And, mm-hmm. I mean, if I were in a same-sex uh, marriage, I would be concerned about the legality of my marriage. Uh, if I was in an interracial marriage, I would be concerned about the value uh, that the state places on my partnership. Um, I don't think that is 
Chicken Little, the sky is falling. No. Yeah, like now we're like now we're the old ladies. Like, that are like, now we're the old like it could happen yeah. to you. Like, I mean, <laughs> like shaking our interns yeah. when I come out of this room. She's gonna be like, yeah. do you know? <laughs> it's scary, but I do think you bring up a great point that it comes down to education, like educating yourself on those things that you know. Yeah, you just kind of spoke about like I feel there's so many things people don't know and then I feel like people talk about things that they haven't even researched themselves or looked into themselves and I feel like like that's a failure yes Mm -hmm. it's like oh Mm -hmm. or like I grew up this way and I've been told this my whole life so this is gospel to me or vice versa and that's on either side of the spectrum I've heard it on both sides absolutely and so I think everyone everyone that is listening to this podcast it is up to you to educate yourself. Mm-hmm. Like choices, you guys are amazing, and I know you are a great partner for people seeking out help and seeking out knowledge. Mm-hmm. But for those that are looking to make a change and looking to help, the first step is learning what you're actually combating against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a good place for resources for people that are looking to learn a little bit more? I mean, there's all kinds of things yeah. online, right? That's what I was going to say. Uh, but what's the, like, there's a lot online. <laughs> like somebody asked me recently, like what kind of, what I thought the biggest differences between like pre-row and now yeah. and the time we're in now and, you know, Google, yeah. right? Like um, also medication abortion. But um, this, what, I, what I think about as I'm listening to you is uh, in Brian Stevenson's TED Talk uh, uh, many years ago now, he talks about getting in proximity mm-hmm. with people and that that's really how that's you learn. Awesome. And I think if people are courageous enough, like AT was, to talk about their story, mm-hmm. listen to them. Because everybody's got a story and everybody that has to access a stigmatized service like abortion, you know, if there are a hundred abortions, there are a hundred different reasons why somebody right. needed that health care. And you can't know all those, right? Absolutely. But, like, get in proximity with people that are providing this care, that have accessed this kind of care, and listen to their stories. And I think um, I think that's really important right now. Like, people need to understand this is not just a buzzword. Mm-hmm. This is people's lives and families that we're talking about. Yeah. I love that. I it's, think that's, sorry, a no, big piece of the educating yourself is to hear from the people that have been through it. Mm-hmm. Because I do think it is so polarizing too, like what you said, mm-hmm. when you don't listen. you When you listen to speak and to retaliate other than listen to understand, I think is where the crux of the issue mm-hmm. always comes into play. I think that's sure. too, I think my my biggest beef when I know mm-hmm. Christy and I have talked about this is that I, when I did share my, I shared my um, experience on my Instagram and I had mm-hmm. a handful of people disagree with me and that's fine Mm -hmm. but it was funny to me funny is probably not a great word but (laughs) it was interesting to me that people disagreed with me and I was like that's fine like I don't care if you thought that's what it was or what it wasn't like if you look up my medical record Mm -hmm. that's what the insurance labeled it Mm -hmm. so it doesn't really matter if you think if you believe that this procedure that I had to fix my ectopic pregnancy mm-hmm. is called abortion or not, because mm-hmm. medically in insurance, it's called that. Yeah, it just is. Yep. And so that's when I was like, so wait a second. If someone else has, if a pregnant person has a tube that ruptures, mm-hmm. will they have access to care? 
everyone was like, no, that, 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 that's not at all what this means. And I was like, oh, no, it absolutely does mean that. <laughs> I was like, yeah. No, it absolutely does mean that. And so I was like, well, so then what? Then you're sitting in the ER bleeding into your abdomen. Yeah. Let's, I, and I think, then what? <laughs> I think cause something I, I don't think I mentioned when I was talking earlier is the, the, the trigger law that, was, that is going to ban all access mm-hmm. to this procedure uh, imposes criminal penalties yeah. on the physician. So jail time and money. And so... <laughs> And their license, which is their livelihood, right? So now you've got a patient in a in a in a situation where they need access to healthcare, like mm-hmm. you were, mm-hmm. but now you've also got a physician having to weigh providing you that healthcare or the threat of criminal charges, penalties, and losing their license. Right. So I, those are not the kind of decisions you want your doctor to be making when your life is on the line. When you're when literally you're literally sitting in there hanging out waiting for an OR to open. Exactly. Like I, and so that was I think the interesting thing to or me. Or that was, doctor waiting until the very last minute. Mm-hmm. And like waiting until what you have sepsis or, or something. like a lawyer like, gets in the clear like I don't know. Just, and so I I just think that like I said the gray areas I think it's easy for some people to get up on a soapbox mm-hmm. and say this is a very black like black and white issue like there either is or there is not and I just I was kind of I like being a spoon anyway I like stirring things up and I like <laughs> I like to just like be devil's advocate oh and I'm so, a spoon I didn't know yeah okay. and then I was just kind of like I'm just gonna kind of slide this over into the conversation yeah. and then like see what y'all do with it and mm-hmm. it was really interesting to watch what people did with it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's also important like Anna mentioned 70 percent of the population believes that abortion the decision should be between a patient and their their health care provider yeah. i mean and that's all we're not well, i'm not gonna say that <laughs> no I it's okay i think it's you know I, i'm really trying not to um reinforce the stigma you know it, it is not a it is not a progressive view to believe that this is a no. a healthcare choice that yeah. should be somebody's individual choice. Like it, it really isn't. It, no. So I, I've, I've sort of stopped tiptoeing around that and yeah. just saying like, I, it's not a belief. It's just, like, nope. is it? anyway. Um, well, we've we've taken up a ton of your time, and you obviously have um, a lot of very very important work to be doing in our community. Um, is there anything else that you want to leave us with today? Uh, Anything else you want to scream into the microphone? Before <laughs> where you go where can people donate to Choices? That's a great. That's they a great can go one. to memphischoices.org/slash/donate, yeah. uh, and we uh, will accept your donations in many forms, uh, all available on that website. Um, and I assure you uh, that we will put it to very good use, yeah. uh, ensuring continued health care uh, for folks that are both uh, choosing abortion, but also con- choosing to continue their parent their pregnancies and parent. Um, because we will support, we want to support our people and Absolutely. be here for them. I'm going to say what AME always says: there's no donation too small, but there is no donation too large either. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned so much yeah. from y'all today. <laughs> and if you want to learn more about the practices of choices, we've talked a lot of this has been heavy and it much needed conversation. But you can listen to Jennifer's previous episode with us. You can also uh, visit TEDx Memphis and listen to Dr. Nakia Grayson's yes. TED Talk, who oh, yes. is yes. a midwife with choices, who talks yes. about her experience and her stories. It's very enlightening and eye-opening and just very cool to see that side of the services you guys are offering. So I do urge you guys to go listen to those as well. And they have a big 
beautiful building yes. too. And um, you know, that was a, that was the biggest highlight. And the last yes. one, it was we were like, look at this, look at this yep. awesome, yep. wonderful, like come this to fruition. Space. And now, yeah. and now, <laughs> Jennifer's like, and now we need every single inch of that space. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, because people deserve to access care in a beautiful space. Yes. Right? And so, uh, yes. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. You're welcome. It's w- wonderful to see you, and I appreciate you letting us um, pick your brain and express our frustrations. Absolutely. We'll have you back soon. Thanks so much. Take care, y'all. All right, well, we really appreciate everybody joining us today for this conversation. I know it was um, a challenging one, and I, I hope that you leave feeling uh, motivated and um, inspired and not defeated. Um, I certainly am walking away from this conversation feeling a, a sense of uh, urgency and opportunity um, and excitement about what we can what we can do going forward. Um, so speaking about what we're going to do going forward... <laughs> It's a really excellent segue. Um, we are still here in the thick of uh, New Memphis' summer where we have a real density of fun events for young people. So if you have college interns, you are a college intern, maybe you're a recent graduate, a young professional, somebody early in their career, we have a group of events that are tailored just for you. And we still have a couple left uh, as we close out here in July. So I encourage you to go to newmemphis.org, um, learn about the summer experience. We're going to have a speed mentoring uh, event this week. Um, That is an event where we get to connect you with uh, a group of amazing local leaders who are uh, more advanced in their careers and are going to offer some uh, insight and uh, feedback on your career paths. And then we're going to close out the summer next week on Thursday night over at Grind City Brewery. Um, it is truly a party. It's National Intern Day, uh, if you find, right? It's like a very important holiday here at New Memphis, um, where we're just going to celebrate uh, the successes of the summer, get everybody together. Um, so come join us for some food, some drinks, some uh, camaraderie. We would love to see you. All of those events are free. Um, you just have to go to newmemphis.org and register. Uh, and then we have one more, you know, as we've been talking in this episode about the importance of local leadership, of um, really how essential it is uh, that we are connecting as leaders and thinking strategically and collaboratively about what the future of our community should look like. Um, that is really the the essence of New Memphis and our work. And one of the kind of fresh embodiments of that work is our first annual uh, leadership summit. It is. I'm just. I'm super. I love this idea. Um, we are going to bring together um, graduates of Memphis programs, but also you, anybody who's listening, who um, is just interested in developing yourself as a leader, building capacity, connecting with other leaders. So it's it's all about learning and growing. Um, Christy, tell us more about the Leadership Conference. Yeah, guys, on August 26th, all we want to do is bring leaders to the table that will experience sessions that give you the opportunity to develop your abilities, learn how you can give back to your community, and as we've talked about today, discover more about important issues that Memphis is facing and what you can do to help be a solution to those issues. Um, this will be an all-day conference. If you want to learn more about the individual sessions and those speaking you can go to newmemphis.org slash events again tickets just went up you missed the early bird prices but you get a lot of bang for your buck it'll be well worth it yes. i um i had a sneak peek of all of these uh, workshops before they uh were released yeah. and let me just tell you it's going to be a difficult 
choice for you mm-hmm. to figure out which Talking breakouts. I know it's yeah. going to be a difficult decision to figure out which uh, workshop you're going to go to in each time slot. So that's a good problem to have. Absolutely. The speakers and facilitators we have lined up are amazing. Again, you can check them out, newmemphis.org slash events. We could not do this event with our, without our amazing sponsors who are Pinnacle, Kroger, Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, Varsity Spirit, and Malazari Engineering. Um, come check it out. If I didn't work here, I would still want to go. It's, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's That's really a cool. testament to what our teams have got in line for you. So Summer Experience, Leadership Summit, you got everything you need. We don't take the summer off here in <laughs> Memphis, no ma'am. All right, well, thank you guys um, for being with me today on this episode. Thanks again to Jennifer Pepper for joining us in studio, and we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.